0: Lee Edwards always does our our sermon intro videos and always does a great job. That's one of my favorite ones, seeing that hero that that comes out. And I hope that this next few weeks, as we continue our, our study in God's Word, that we are going to see that there really is only one true hero, and he's mentioned on every page of the Bible. If you have God's Word this morning, and I hope that you do, will you turn with me to the Gospel of Luke? Luke is the third book in the New Testament. So Matthew, Mark, and then Luke, we're going to be in chapter 24. I'll encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you that you're more than um, welcome to use. If not, the words will be on the screen. i going to read a, a long passage this morning um, from Luke chapter 24. We're going to begin in verse 13 and read all the way through verse 35. So let's stand together as we read from God's Word. Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along them. Here's the key part, verse 16. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas... "'asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem "'and do not know the things that have happened here "'in these past few days? "'What things?' he asked. "'About Jesus of Nazareth,' they replied. "'He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed "'before God and all the people. "'The chief priests and our rulers handed him over "'to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. "'But we had hoped that he was the one "'who was going to redeem Israel. "'And what is more, it's the third day "'since since all this took place.' In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Verse 25. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning who? Himself. As they approached the village where they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. When he broke the bread. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. In this passage that we just read in Luke chapter 24, Jesus himself, he teaches us not only how we are to to read the Old Testament, how we're to understand the Bible, but in fact he tells us this this is the key that unlocks understanding all of Scripture if you'll just fully understand what I'm teaching you in Luke chapter 24. Now, I think most of us here today would readily admit that um, we know that this book is important. We know that this is God's Word. We would all say that we know this wasn't written by man, but it was, according to Timothy, it was God-breathed. It's God-inspired. This is God's Word to us. And I think we'd all admit that if we want to grow in in knowledge of God's character— of his principles, of knowledge of who he is. The only way we can do that is by reading and studying and translating his word. It's important that we come to church and and the word of God is taught to us in our Sunday school classes, that that this is the word that, that I continue to teach from as our primary text. And while we admit that, that it's important that we know and read and understand God's word, I think that if If we're honest and if we could do that this morning and take off these masks that we sometimes wear when we come to church where we act like we have it all together and we have no questions and everything's all fine. I think the same people who would admit that we need to understand and read and study God's word that we would also admit that there are times when we come to God's word and we read whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament that we just get stuck. That it just doesn't seem to make sense and we're not sure how it all fits together. Now, you've heard me promote the Jesus Storybook Bible more than once from the pulpit here. I promise I don't receive a commission from Lifeway. Although that would be nice, Michael, if you're here, that would be nice. Um, But this is an incredible book, and it's an incredible book not just for um, young believers, not just for, for young children, but I would encourage any new believer that wants to understand the entire story of the Bible to pick up the Jesus Storybook Bible. Now the reason that that I love this Bible in particular and the author Sally Lloyd-Jones is because she will take each and every story and at the end of the story she shows that that character is not necessarily the hero of that story but there is a hero who is coming later if you're in the Old Testament and that hero is Jesus. That Jesus is the the hero in the entire story of the Bible. So these next few weeks as we're in this um, series that I'm calling Hero that we're going to be looking at at different characters and walking through different stories in the Old Testament, many of of which that you will know, even if you weren't raised in church, you're going to know the stories of Adam and Joseph and Jacob and and David. You you know those stories. But my hope is in the next few weeks that we'll look at it with a little bit of a different twist, that we'll see that those characters, they aren't the end in themselves, but they are pointing to a greater hero, which is Jesus himself. So I, I was talking to Lindsay last night as we were going to dinner. I said, I want to make it abundantly clear that I'm not plagiarizing, but much of what I'm going to share is going to be coming from this Bible. So if you have this Bible and you say, hey, that sounds familiar, that's right. This is a secondary source that I'm using. And Sally Lloyd-Jones in the introduction, she puts it better than I could ever write it about what the story of the entire Bible is all about. So I want you to watch this video, and this is the introduction to the Jesus Storybook Bible, which will give us a foundation for this series that we're going to be in through the rest of this year.
1: God wrote, I love you. He wrote it in the sky and on the earth and under the sea. He wrote his message everywhere because God created everything in this world to reflect him like a mirror, to show us what he is like, to help us know him, to make our hearts sing. The way a kitten chases her tail. The way red poppies grow wild. The way a dolphin swims. And God put it into words, too, and wrote it in a book called the Bible. Now, some people think the Bible is a book of rules, telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes, showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but as you'll soon find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away. At times, they are downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything, to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is, it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story, and at the center of the story, there is a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He's like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly, you can see a beautiful picture. And this is no ordinary baby. This is the child upon whom everything would depend. This is the child who would one day, but wait. Our story starts where all good stories start, right at the very beginning.
0: My favorite line in the introduction, one that I hope that I will remember every time I open God's word. It says, but the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. No, the Bible is about God and what he has done. Think about it. When you look at the the stories of the men and the women of, of faith in the Old Testament, you look at Rahab, you look at Samson, you look at Gideon and David, and the stories go on and on. When you ask yourself, what is the purpose as to why God included those stories in the Bible? Is the purpose that he put those, those stories in there for us to look at them and say, those are the heroes, these are the men and women that we're supposed to be like? Or, is it, as I'm going to propose this morning, is there a deeper meaning as to why those stories are included in Scripture? Take David and Goliath, for instance. Most all of us have heard the story of David and Goliath. Why did God include that story in the Bible? What is it that God wants us to learn from the story of David and Goliath? I was raised in church all my life, and I remember going to Sunday school when I was a little kid, and I remember what I was taught was that the story of David and Goliath is that if you can just have the faith of David, if you can be more like David, then you can go and you can slay your giants, you can cut the head off your giants, and you can do anything. Just be more like David. David. But is that really the deeper meaning of why that story is in the Bible? I heard one pastor, when he was talking about uh, modern-day preachers, he said this. He said that that modern-day preachers are addicted to MOTS preaching, M-O-T-S. And you say, what does M-O-T-S stand for? It stands for moral of the story. How many times do we go to to church and we hear someone that says a story and say, now here's the lesson that you need to learn. Now here's what you can do with your life. Here's how you can have your best life now if you'll just take the moral of this story and wrap it up, tie a bow, and then you'll have all that you need. But friends, is the primary purpose of the Old Testament? Is it really to give us good examples of people that we can imitate? Is the primary purpose of the Old Testament to give us warning signs of these are men and women that you should not follow because they had bad things in their life. Now, don't get me wrong. There are plenty of stories in the Old Testament that we can can learn from their example, both the good and the bad. But don't you think there's a, a deeper meaning as to why those stories are included in the Bible? I hope over the next few weeks to give you what I I consider a, a better way to read the Old Testament in fact it's not just a better way to read the Old Testament but I hope and and what we're going to look at this morning and what we're going to look at for the next few months will be a better way for you to read and to understand and to interpret all of Scripture but it's a different way than many times we read Scripture it's so easy for us to go to the Bible and to say okay now how do I fit into this story and how can I be like David? How can I be like Samson? How can I be the hero in the story? But if there's one overarching theme, if there's one thesis statement that I would want to have for this series, here it is. And that is that the plot line of the Bible is Jesus-centered. The he, he alone is the hero of every single story. The author of Hebrews Look what he tells us. He says to let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who is what? The author and perfecter of our faith. So we are to run with our eyes focused not on ourselves, not looking at God's Word and saying, what does this say about me? But we are to run with our eyes focused on someone so much greater than ourselves. The author of Hebrews says, Let us run with our eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith. That if we fix our eyes on Jesus, then we don't get lost in the forest as we're navigating our way through God's Word. Now, let's be honest. It's easy to see Jesus on every page of the Bible if you're talking about the New Testament, right? Well, take the first four books of the Bible. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels. That's all telling the story of Jesus' life. It's easy. Of course, that's all about Jesus. Even go to the next few books, and you look at all the, 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 whether it's Acts or the letters that Paul writes, the different letters that are in the, Old, in the New Testament, and you say, well, sure, Jesus is mentioned there. It's all pointing to Jesus. We know that's all about Jesus. But, Blake, are you really telling me this morning that even the stories in the Old Testament, it all is about Jesus? I don't have to tell you, there's some crazy stories in the Old Testament, aren't there? There are some crazy stories of people that do some weird things there are some crazy laws that I'm so glad we're not under today, right? Amen? Some of you need to be saying amen because you're wearing jewelry, you've got different fabric you're wearing, all right? I'm so glad that we're not under some of those rules. There are some long genealogies that are in the Bible. Is that really all about Jesus? You see, the reason we started this morning by reading from Luke chapter 24 is because in that passage that Jesus himself tells us, this is what the Bible is all about. And hear me clearly on this. You will never understand the Old Testament until you first understand Luke chapter 24. Until you understand what Jesus himself says, this is what the Old Testament is about, until we properly translate this is what Jesus is meaning, then we will miss the entire point of the Old Testament unless we first understand what Jesus says, here is the point, here is why I'm telling you all of this. So there's two things in particular that we can learn from Luke chapter 24. And this is going to kind of be our our, our outline for this morning. The first thing that we can learn from Luke chapter 24 is Jesus tells us what the Bible is not about. That's going to be the first part of where we're going to go. He's going to say, this is what the Bible is not about. And how the two men that were walking on the way to Emmaus, they had totally missed the purpose, the meaning. They had misunderstood what the Old Testament was about. But not only is Jesus going to tell us what the Bible is not about, thank goodness, He's not going to leave us there, but he's also going to tell us what the Bible is about. You see, it's possible to read the, the entire Bible, to study the Bible, and miss the entire point of the Scripture. That's what happened to these two men that were walking on the way to Emmaus. They knew their Bibles. They knew the Old Testament. They were scholars. And yet, what was their emotion when they're walking and they, they, they see this man who they didn't know was Jesus that said that they were sad and dejected. You see, they knew their Bible. They knew the Old Testament, but they didn't understand the main point. They didn't understand what it was all about. And here's the thing for us this morning in 2017, is that it is possible to know all of the stories of the Bible and to miss the one overarching story of the Bible. It's possible to raise our children, to raise our students, for as adults that we can know all the stories of the Bible, but to miss the overarching story of the Bible. It's possible to be a member of an evangelical, Bible-believing church where the God's Word is faithfully taught from the pulpit and the Sunday school class every single week and to still miss Jesus. You can read the entire Bible from the table of contents all the way to the maps and miss what the Bible is all about. Missing Jesus in the Bible, that's exactly what happened to these two men that were on the way to Emmaus. Now, in their defense, let's think about all they had just experienced. These two men that that knew and loved Jesus, they were walking with, with Jesus all this time, and now he had just been murdered three days before. He had been murdered, and just a week before that, remember, we studied this not too long ago, the triumphal entry, he had just come into Jerusalem, and he'd been hailed as the savior and as the king, and now he's dead, and they're confused, they're sad. But as you read the scripture, now that, that, that there's this, this rumor that's going around, these women have come, and they said, hey, Jesus is alive, we went to the tomb, and he's not, no longer here. They saw some some vision of the angel and he's not there. And and they're confused. They're not really sure what to believe. And their emotion is that they are sad and dejected. So Jesus walks up to them. Remember that they don't recognize it's Jesus. And he says, What's the matter? And they look at him and say, are you crazy? Where, where? Are you a visitor? Have you not been here? Do you not know everything that had just happened? There was this one, this man named Jesus, and we had placed all of our hopes and dreams upon him. He was going to come and to restore Israel back to its, its national and political place of prominence. He was going to put Rome back in its place, and we had placed all our hopes and dreams in him. But guess what? Now he's He's dead. He's dead. And since this man is dead, our hopes and dreams have been dashed. We aren't even sure where to go from here. When his dreams, our dreams were put to death, when Jesus himself was put to death. And Jesus responds, this is not the, the New International Translation, It's Blake's, Blake International Translation. He says, are you kidding me? Have you read the Old Testament? Have you not seen what all the Old Testament was pointing to? Did you completely miss the the meaning and the reason for why all of those stories were in the Old Testament? In verse 21, they say exactly what they thought the Bible was all about. This is what he says. This is what the the, the men say to Jesus. But we had what? We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped that this is what was going to happen. See, look at this. When they read the Old Testament, they thought the Bible, they thought the Old Testament was fundamentally about who? About them. It was about their glory. We had hoped that this Savior was going to come and redeem us, to restore us, to put Israel back into its rightful place, that we again would be recognized as the premier nation because this was all about what we had hoped. Let's take a time out here for a second. It's always easy to, to point fingers at people in the Bible, isn't it? Say, I can't believe that they would do that. I can't believe they doubt it. I can't believe they wouldn't walk on water, whatever it might be. But don't we do the same thing today? How many times do we look at what's going on in the world, or we read Scripture, and we think it's all about America? Oh, all, at the end of the world, the prophecies have to do because of the hurricanes that are happening, the war. The Bible is not all about America, let me tell you that. How many times do we fundamentally read the Bible as if it's all about us? We read the Bible as if it's all about how we can be better parents, how we can have great marriages, how we can raise children. And we read it as if it were some heaven-sent self-help manual, that if I just read it, it's going to help me have a better life, as if it's this divinely sent to-do list, that if I can just check all these things off, then I'll be able to, to, to please and honor God. Too many times, you and I, we go to the Bible and we try to say, Well, I, what, what's the Bible say that I can do to improve my life? And hopefully, if I do what's best, I'm going to honor God by doing what's best so that I can go out and I can conquer my challenges, I can cut the heads off my giants, and I can be the hero of the story. These two men, they didn't see Jesus in the Old Testament. They were reading the Old Testament as if it were fundamentally about them. And because of that, they completely missed the point of the Bible. Now again, hear me. It's not that the Bible doesn't give us what what I would say guidelines or principles for how we are to live our lives. There are blueprints all throughout the Scripture, especially in Paul's letters, about how we can raise our children, about how we can live a life to to love our neighbors, that we can have the marriages that honor God. So I'm not saying that it doesn't say that, but unless we go to the Bible, unless we see Jesus and his work for us, then our Bible reading plan, then our our quiet time, it can become nothing more than fuel for our self-improvement plan. It can be nothing more than our self-help plan that we can go to the Bible, we find how we can take control of our lives, and we can now have the life that we've been longing for. Sadly, that's the way I would would guess a a large or a vast majority of Americans in church. That's how we go to the Bible. We we read the Bible as if it's just a self-help manual, here to give us the answer so that we can go on our way. We treat the Bible as if it's fundamentally principles, that will truly give us our best life now if we'll just enable, if we'll enact these principles that are given to us in Scripture. And the result is, if that's how we read the Bible, we are going to completely miss Jesus. In verse 27, look what Jesus does. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus, meaning he, explained to them what was said in the Scriptures concerning, what's that last word, who's it concerning? Himself. He's basically telling these two men, look, you're sad. You're sad. You're dejected. And I know exactly why you're sad. I know exactly why you are are hanging your heads low. And it's because you thought that this whole story was about you. You thought that the whole Old Testament was about you. And your hopes and dreams have been dashed because you thought this was about you. But guess what? It's not about you. The Old Testament, the Bible is not about you. He says, in fact, it's about who? It's about me. And because it's about me and because I live, your hopes and dreams are alive. Because the entire Old Testament was telling one story. The entire Old Testament was pointing to one central character. See, everything in the Old Testament was prophesying or predicting or pointing towards what I love the author of the Jesus Storybook Bible calls it God's rescuer. The entire Old Testament, it's predicting God's rescuer, Jesus, who is to come. and the entire New Testament, it's just presenting the rescuer that God presents. But the entire story of the Bible is about God's rescuer. Jesus says this whole thing, everything that you read in here, it's all about me. That's what he says in verse 27. See, if you go to the Old Testament and you were to read the story of Rahab, and you would read that story and say, oh, man, that's a great story. What that story teaches me is that I need to have more faith, and I need to be like Rahab. You missed the point. Yeah, that's good that you, you need to have Rahab, and Rahab can be an example. But who gave Rahab the faith in the first place? God. God's the one that gave her the faith. And Rahab is a story that's pointing forward, that's predicting, that's pointing us to God's rescuer. Next week, the first story that we're going to look at in the Old Testament is the story of Adam. We're going to start at the very beginning in Genesis. Now, I don't have to tell you that most of us don't look at Adam as a hero of the faith. We say, oh, man, we don't want to be like Adam because of his sin that led us to all of where we are today. But I think you're going to see that you and I are more like Adam than we'd ever like to admit. And we're going to see that the Adam account is a guarantee from God that no one in the Bible except Adam. Jesus himself can save us. Jesus, he's the point of every part of the story. He's the climax of every theme. Jesus is the true and better version of every single figure in the Bible. Again, it's not that we can't learn good examples, not that we can't learn from the bad examples, from the stories and characters in the Bible, but it's so much more. That's not the primary purpose of the Bible. There is a deeper, more profound purpose. In fact, Jesus tells us the job description, if you will, of the Old Testament. It's intended to tell us who he is. And it tells us who Jesus is through examples, through stories, through laws, through prophets, through kings. Through all of these things, he is showing us this is who he is. If you don't hear anything else, I hope you'll remember this. When you are reading the Bible, whether it's in the morning whether it's at night, when you're having, and I hope that you do, have a time alone in God's word, here's the question you should not be asking. The question you shouldn't ask as you read God's word is what does this story have to teach me about my life? That's man-centered. That's going in saying, what does this teach me about me? But instead, the question that we should ask ourselves when we open up God's word is, what does this story teach me about Jesus? You see the difference there? When I go to God's Word, am I looking at am I I me-centered? Is it about me, or am I saying it's all about Jesus and how I fit into His story? John Stott, one of the most famous Christian authors, he said this quote: He said, "The Bible is a portrait of Jesus. The Bible is a portrait of Jesus. It's a picture of who He is and what He's done." See, the primary focus, the primary purpose of why we have this book is not to tell the story of the, the ones that God loved, the ones that God redeemed. No, the primary purpose of this Bible is to tell the work of the Redeemer, not the work of the redeemed. See, the Bible is not a, a recipe book that we can open up and just go to our concordance and find the answers when we have problems. This isn't intended to be a recipe book for our our Christian living, but instead this book is a revelation of Jesus, and Jesus is the answer for our unchristian living. See, we're naturally self-centered, aren't we? We're naturally narcissistic, and we come into this world constantly thinking about ourselves. Ask any newborn parent if you have to teach a child about how to be self-centered, how they have to think about themselves. No, no, no. From Genesis chapter 3, from the fall of man, we're going to be in there next week, all the way until the point where we are today, we see that we as humans are trying to become what only God is. And as a result, we read the Bible incorrectly because we make the Bible man-centered instead of God-centered. We've got to understand, we've got to take Jesus at his word, who said the Bible is primarily not about you, not about me, but the Bible primarily is a book that points to God's rescuer. I want to end our, our message this morning with um, uh, something that I read in an article by one of my favorite pastors these days, and he's, he's got several books. Um, you've heard me talk about him before. His name is Tim Keller. And Tim Keller had an article that he's writing about how Jesus is the, the true and better, and he goes through different characters that he is. And he says that Jesus is the true and better Adam. Adam. He's a true and better Adam who passes every test of God. See, Adam was in a garden. He was in the Garden of Eden. But did he pass that test? No, he failed that test. And because Adam failed that test, we all die. But Jesus, who in Scripture, who Paul calls the second Adam or the last Adam, he was in a garden as well. He was in the garden, not of Eden, but the garden of Gethsemane. And when he was in that garden, he didn't fail the test, but he passed the test. Because the first Adam failed the test, we all die. That's a consequence of sin. But because the second Adam passed the test, we all live and have salvation. Jesus is the true and better Abel, whose blood cries out from the ground, not for our condemnation, as Abel's blood, because of Cain's blood, but because of our acquittal. Remember the story of Cain and Abel? The two brothers? Cain ends up killing Abel over a sacrifice they both bring an offering they bring to God. One was pleasing, one was not to God. And so, so God comes to Cain and says, Hey, where, where's your brother? He said, What am I? My brother's keeper? And God's word says that He replies that God says, Abel's blood cries out to me from the ground to condemn you. Well, years later, there would be another blood that would be shed, and that blood would call out to God, but it wouldn't call for our condemnation as Abel's blood did, but it calls out for our acquittal, and that is the blood of the second Adam, of Jesus Himself. Jesus is the true and better Abraham. Abraham, who answered the call of God to leave all of the comfortable, all of the familiar, all that he had, to go to a land in which he did not know. Remember the story of Abraham? He was first called Abram. And in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. Abraham obeys. And as a result, he becomes the father of the Jewish nation. Well, Jesus himself is the true and better Abraham. Jesus left his home in heaven and came to a land that he did not know on earth to create a new people of God. But it wasn't just the Hebrew nation. It wasn't just the Jewish nation. But he created a new people for himself that's made up of every chung, tribe, and nation. Jesus is the true and better Joseph. He's the true and better Joseph who at the right hand of the king ends up forgiving those who betrayed and sold him. And now he uses this new power that he has to save his people. Joseph is my favorite story in all of the Old Testament. You remember that story, loved by his father, had the brothers and they end up selling him into slavery. While he's in slavery, he ends up going to Pharaoh and he's second command. There's a famine in the land. The brothers and Joseph's father are in Israel, and they need food, so they end up going to um, Egypt, and they're asking for food. Little do they know who they're asking food from, their brother. Years have passed. They don't know that it's Joseph they're standing in front of. Joseph reveals himself, but instead of condemning them, instead of getting upset with them, he uses his newfound power to save them, to give them grace that they need. Then he says, not only that, bring your family with you. I want my family to live with me here in Egypt. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who at the right hand of the Father. He forgives us, doesn't hold our sins against us, but he offers us the salvation, and he has the power to save us. Jesus is the true and better David, David whose victory becomes the people's victory, although they never lifted a stone to accomplish it. I referenced the story of David and Goliath just a few moments ago. Remember the story of David and Goliath, and and David was the only person of all the Israelites that had the faith that would go up and stand up against the giant. No one else would do so, but David, a teenager, with a slingshot, with five smooth stones, he goes up and he kills the giant in front of him. What about all the cowards there? All the cowards of Israel, they too get to receive the victory that David himself received. Jesus stands in the gap, not only from a giant, but from our enemy, sin, Satan, death himself. And Jesus accomplishes that. You and I do nothing, and yet you and I get to receive the victory from Jesus, who accomplishes that victory for us. Finally, Jesus is the true and better Jonah. He's the true and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm against the wrath of God. We preached on Jonah two years ago. And we preach through the story of Jonah and how Jonah was fleeing from God and he ends up on the boat. And while he's on the boat, a great storm comes up, and he goes to the people on the boat and says, Listen, you gotta throw me overboard. The reason the storm is happening is because of me, it's because of my sin. So they end up throwing Jonah overboard, and as soon as he hits the water, the storm stops and they're rescued. Jesus is the true and better Jonah. He was thrown out to the storm, but it wasn't the water, the storm was God's wrath. And God's wrath was satisfied by the blood of Jesus. See, church family, this whole book, it's all about Jesus. This whole book is about what's one long story of God meeting our rebellion with his rescue. It's a story of God saying, you know what, here's your guilt, but I'm going to give you grace. Grace. Here's your sin and here's your shame, but here's the salvation that I'm going to give you. It's God meeting us with our badness, our sinfulness, with his goodness, with his grace. And when you and I will come to God's word with an understanding, with a realization that everything that we read, it's not about you, it's not about me, but when we read this book as if it's all about him, it's all about Jesus, then we will be able to read the Bible and put it in proper context. And when we finally will read God's word in proper context, that's when we will live our lives with what is so important, and that is that we live with a proper perspective. That this life, that your job, that your marriage, that every relationship that you have, it's not about you. It's about honoring and glorifying Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so, church family, may we, Always look to Jesus and make everything that we have about him. Would you pray with me? me, Father, we thank you so much for the truth that's found in your word. That everything that we find in this book, it points to you. And it points to you because you are the answer for every question that we have. Even when we are uncertain of what is to come tomorrow, we know that we can trust you because you are our creator, you are our maker, you are our Lord and Savior, and we place our hope and trust in you even during the trying and uncertain days that we go through. I pray for each and every person here today that as we spend time with you this week in your word, that we will learn how we can be more like your son Jesus Christ. That our desire is that our lives become a greater reflection of who you are instead of reading your word for justification for our mistakes. That we would find that your grace, that your mercy is more than sufficient to meet us in our time of need. And if there's someone here today, Lord, that does not know you as our Lord and Savior, I pray that today, that they would call upon your name, They would stop trying to earn your affection, stop trying to earn your favor, and instead accept the free gift that comes through the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your love that was displayed on Calvary and that you demonstrate to us each and every single day of our lives. We give our lives to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.